Welcome to the Old Chick Snow Shit Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of the Old Chicks No Ship podcast. Today, my guest is Lori Massacott. She is a life and sober coach for women in midlife. And so I was on uh, Lori's podcast, which was fantastic. We had a great conversation there. But as I started getting to know Lori and digging into some of her work, I got so curious about, well, sober curious, which we're going to talk about, but also why. Another thing you mentioned, why um, sobriety in midlife is so important. And it's very close to, as I started digging into the work, it's very close to a lot of the work that I do. So I would love for you, first of all, to share your own experience of becoming sober at age 45 and kind of what prompted that, you know, and how that's kind of led you to where you are today. So maybe we can just jump in there. Why not? Right. Thanks, Jennifer, for having me. This is so much fun. Yes. I mean, I started drinking at 14. uh, And I remember the night that I really got my first buzz and I got drunk. And I remember thinking, well, this is going to be the answer to my shyness because I was very shy, Mm -hmm. very shy. And I was at a party and I drank some pink champagne and I thought, oh, this is wonderful. You know, Lori 2.0 comes out. And I held on to that story for decades. And I was somebody who drank to get drunk. I love to get drunk. I, you know, even after I had my son who is now 19 and into my early 40s, I was drinking more because I lost my mom. She died in 2009 from cancer. It was just a nine month ordeal. So it was fast. And so after that, I realized my drinking is really picking up. And uh, at 45, I was in just the throes of perimenopause. And I kept thinking that drinking was going to help me because it just helped me to tune out just like with Mm. everything that I did in life, every kind of pain, every experience, every social gathering I go over and around. And so I realized after my mom passed, I was drinking even more than I already was. I was, Mm. you know, two bottles of wine was not enough anymore in one setting. And I really started to ask myself a lot of questions. There was a lot of emotions. There were a lot of crying and blacking out and waking up the next day and thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't even think I drank that much. And I would say to my husband, Mm. I didn't drink that much. You know, I was just in such denial, such denial. And I really hadn't been self-aware. I was trying to fit in for most of my life, I realized. And Mm. now, you know, at the midlife, and that's what I will say, midlife is the time where we do our own thing. We can't fit into places anymore. It's just exhausting. It's exhausting. And I think it's so important in midlife to not drink because we are going through perimenopause and the change of life. It affects us differently. You know, it hits us a lot differently than it did when we were back in our 20s. It's no Mm -hmm. longer fun. I mean, I had all the reasons. So So, (laughs) one night on August 11, 2013, I poured my two bottles of Chardonnay down the sink and I stood there crying like a baby saying, I'm never going to drink again. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe myself. Right. 
So was there a like a crisis moment? Because often, you know, I, I hear the stories, people quit drinking because I woke up, I didn't know where I was or whatever it was. Like, was there a particular crisis moment that kind of brought you to that place? Gosh, there were so many over the 30 years of drinking oh, that, okay. you know, that night, which is very interesting because, you know, it's like that rock bottom. Like, what was your rock bottom? Mm-hmm. Well, I could tell you I have a whole list of them, but I didn't take it as my rock bottom. That night when I quit drinking, my husband and son were camping and I was home with my Chardonnay. I always had two bottles. I was very strategic in my drinking and I was watching a Lifetime movie on the couch by myself and I was I was pretty much miserable. I was very overweight for me, for my happiness level. I was carrying a lot of physical weight, but I was also carrying a lot of mental weight and it was mm-hmm. just, it was too much. It was too much for me and I had been questioning it for about two years leading up to it, researching, am I an alcoholic? What is going on with me? You know, I had all the questions. And so that night it was just me by myself. Wow. So that was it. You were just like, this is the moment you just reached that point. I find this so fascinating because midlife has a way of stripping away from us anything that's not truly authentically us right? So for me, it was, you know, my job, my title, you know, that type of thing. That's how I identified in the world. And it was my wall of protection, right? Like I hid behind that one in a big way. For you, it was alcohol. For other people, it's other things. But the theme, the underlying theme is always the same. It's like you get to this point in your life and you're just like the universe or whatever word you want to choose to use says to you, uh-uh, girlfriend, we are not doing this anymore. We need the real Lori to come to the table. I love that. Right? I love that. It's true. I mean, I say now I know that it was God because it was this voice that said, you've had enough. Like, not tonight. You've had enough for your entire life. That's what I kept hearing. And so my husband came home the next day and I said, I can't drink anymore. And I met him in a bar in 1997 and we drank a lot together. And thank God for him because he just said, I don't have to drink either. And neither one of us believed each other. It's just... I held on to that and without his support, I wouldn't have been able to do it. There's no way, but you know, a lot happened after that. So, so he quit drinking with you at that point. Cause I was going to ask you, so, you know, a lot, a lot of times I hear when people quit drinking relationships shift because, and I know I have lost friends over the fact that I don't drink the way that I used to drink for sure. You know, like how did that impact all your relationships? So it sounds like your husband, God bless his soul. <laughs> bless his soul. His big soul. I mean, he's just, yeah. I mean, it, honestly, I don't know. And whenever I'm asked this question, I always want to make sure that I say that about him because I don't know if I talk about it. I don't think I could ever talk about how grateful I am to him. You know, he has quit drinking, but he will drink socially. So he just went and did his fantasy football thing with all of his old college football friends and he drank. And that was the first time he drank in 2020. And so, you know, it's very, (laughs) it's very stripped down from what he used to drink. And yeah, he just, he stuck by my side. And I think, you know, I remember him saying to me like 90 days in, like you can never go back. Cause that's when you start Mm -hmm. to realize what a difference there was. You can't see it until you pull yourself out of it. Cause I, like I said, I was in denial. I was justifying my drinking. I was always making excuses. And when he said that, I just remember thinking, well, shit, (laughs) cause I was still in that, like, can I make it work? Can I go back? Can I moderate? 
you know, but no, with him, and then my son was 12 at the time. I mean, you know, I just really held on to him and he was just so helpful to me. Um, and I'm going to tell him that tonight. I'm going to make sure I tell him that again. <laughs> but, you know, I had close friends that I grew up with, those friends that I started drinking with at 14. And those relationships have shifted, not, not the real ones, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I wasn't invited to wine tasting trips anymore. Uh, you know, I don't get invited to place it. It was very hurtful early in my recovery. But now, you know, I just know that those relationships, if they're meant to be, they're going to come together because everybody yeah. now, all of us are going through this yeah. transition in life, you know? Yeah. And back then I was asking That's my so friends, true. are you skipping periods? Are you having heart <laughs> palpitations? Are you? And they're like, no, Lori, you're, you're too young to go through menopause. I'm like, I don't know. I always felt like the oddball. I always just felt like I'm just, you know, in my whole different world. So I just went my own way. Right. Because it's so interesting because I quit drinking for about three months, like completely just when I was in the throes of my stress-related illness because I was having trouble sleeping anyway and alcohol made it a hundred times worse. So I quit drinking. And just in that short span of time, so maybe it was like three or four months, like I saw friendships shift. Like it was quite interesting to me. And as you said, hurtful. Um, but it also made me realize, I'm like, okay, what was the basis of, my, of our friendship if that's the thing that causes our friendship to dissolve? And then do I really want that in my life? So, you know, you reestablish relationships, but maybe on a slightly different, you know, foundation than was before. You know, I still drink now, but I definitely don't, don't drink like I used to. <laughs> Like one, two glasses of wine and the next morning I'm like, oh my God, what happened? You know, and some, and then you go through this process of, is it really worth this glass, second glass of wine? Is it really worth how I'm going to feel tomorrow? So I will still enjoy wine, but definitely it doesn't like anything like it did in my 20s, 30s and 40s. And there's, there's a big, like just right reality just smacks you in the face. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. When you were saying about how, you know, Lori 2.0 came to the table when you were drinking, like that's very much, I didn't actually realize until I was having this conversation with you. That's exactly what was for me. It was for me as well too. Like I could socialize till the cows come home, right? And just be like the life of the party when really I want to be in bed by 10 o'clock every night. Um, I think it's, so it's interesting. Yeah, midlife is that time where we reevaluate so much in our lives, not just our drinking, but everything and every relationship. You kind of have to sit back and say, you know, I don't know really what it is. If it's the reality that, you know, we don't have as much time left as we did when we were 30, mm-hmm. you step back and say, okay, how do I want to live my life? How, what are my priorities? And, you know, the older you get, the harder it's going to be to quit drinking if you've been drinking like I have, or even if you're just picking it up. Because a lot of women come to me and say, oh, I listen to your podcast. Everything you say, it's like you're talking to me. I started drinking when I was 14 too, Mm -hmm. and I'm still drinking and I'm in my 60s. Like, okay, well, let's work on that. Let's reevaluate that because you're missing out on a lot of precious time. My hangovers were two days long. (laughs) I mean, you know, I felt like, you know, I was always saying the hair of the dog, the hair of the dog, I got to drink again to feel better. And when you realize you're in that cycle, it's never ending. Yeah. And I think there just comes a point where you just run out of energy, like physical, mental, and emotional energy for anything that's not real right? Like you just reach this point where it's just like, okay, the gas in that tank is done. So like, let's find something else. How do you think your life would be different today if you hadn't quit drinking? I wouldn't be talking to you and seeing your beautiful face this morning. (laughs) Uh, It would, you know, I, 
it would just be, I think, a mess. I, I honestly do. I've, I get asked that question a lot. It's interesting because I just celebrated seven years of sobriety in August. So, you know, within the last seven years, I can't imagine not having those days that I've had. And it's hard to envision. But, you know, I think I would just still be uh, miserable, it, it, even worse. Mm-hmm. I was very miserable. I was miserable with myself. I was never happy with myself and I don't know why, you know, and it's just part of the work that I do in recovery now is, you know, why (laughs) asking myself questions, which I think that we all have to do at this stage of life. Mm. Why do I keep doing that? So yeah, I would be stressed. I would be, you know, I was the B word, you know, I was really, I was a mean drinker towards the end. I was always lashing out, not remembering what I was saying to my sweet husband who quit drinking for me. I mean, you know, it's just that kind of stuff. I don't know where our marriage would be. And we just celebrated mm. 21 years. So, you know, it's, I think that this time of life, because you had asked me in the beginning, you know, why this time of life is so important. Time is the biggest thing for me, mm-hmm. having that time and not erasing it. Because that yeah. first drink, it's wonderful if you can have, some people have half a glass of wine and that's all they need. Yeah. But you know, that first drink, that first 20 minutes of your glass of wine that's taking you, I always called it my wine fantasies, just taking me into this other realm where it was so enjoyable. It only lasts for 20 minutes. So think about the consequences like the next day, like you were saying, you got to push the play button all the way to the end and forward it to the next day and stop BSing yourself because it's not worth it. It's not. Yeah, it really isn't. So talk to me a little bit about sober curious. I think it's an interesting term. (laughs) It is interesting. I just did a a little video about it the other day on Instagram because, you know, we're, well, this is October 1st. So October is sober October. Okay. So there's all kinds Mm. of months now. This wasn't (laughs) happening when I could. And days. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. Days. And um, I'm one of the founders of National Sober Day. I mean, that was just September 14th. So, you know, we got that day on the calendar, but it's just a very much used term, sober curious in the social media realm. And Mm. I'm not sure who coined it. I know there's a book with the title, but you know, it's just about being sober. It's being curious about sobriety. But what I say for midlife women, it's curious about how you will feel when you're not drinking. Like, how am I going to feel? And how much better can I feel if I do quit drinking? You know, and so that's where my curious side came out was just, you know, I've got to do something else because this isn't working. It's the definition of insanity when you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So for you to be curious about sobriety is a wonderful place to be in because of what sobriety can really lead to. And it changes all areas of your life when you're not escaping and you're not numbing out. Right, right. Not waking up in the morning hungover with like a bag of cotton in your mouth. (laughs) Right. Do you have women who come to you who are saying, I'm really curious about sobriety, but I don't think I can do it? Is that, yeah, yeah, is that a common thing? And how do you tell them to get started? Like, okay, you're curious, what's the next step? The very first step for me always is to observe your drinking. So I work with women all different ages and, you know, we ease into it because, you know, I'm not the person who's going to be on top of you to quit drinking because it's so much more than that. It's your thoughts. It's your behaviors. It's what's triggering you to drink. It's that's the deep seated 
you know, root of everything. I mean, it goes back to childhood trauma. I mean, it could, it, we don't know mm-hmm. where it starts, right? So it's just to observe your drinking and literally every time you drink, write it in your journal. Why did I think that I needed this drink? Did I drink more than I was expecting to drink? You know, women wake up in the morning and say, I'm not going to drink tonight. And then the day happens. You get to the end of the day and that bottle of wine is in the fridge and you pour that glass. Well, just observe yourself because it's that self-awareness that has to happen. You know, for me, I didn't have any self-awareness. Just like, give me the drink. Give me the wine. I just want it all. I want to numb out. I don't want to think about my life. And when you really just say, okay, well, today I'm going to observe my habits around drinking, it starts to pull out things like, huh, I I didn't really want it. I just had it. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe you did have a bad day. Maybe you have been drinking for decades. Mm. Start asking yourself questions. And that's where I always start. Take that pressure off because there are so many ways that you can get and stay sober nowadays. You can go the traditional route like AA. You can work with a coach. You can work in groups. I mean, all of it. There's so much that is there for someone. And, you know, talk to your doctor first about your drinking. Mm. Be honest with your doctor. I never was. Right. Well, I guess it's a hard thing to kind of admit where you go in and say, hey, doc, I think I'm drinking too much. Like, because mm-hmm. I mean, there's such societal stigma. Well, it's interesting. There's such societal stigma about saying that. But on the flip side, there's also so much societal pressure to drink. So you're like caught in the middle, right? It's like, how very you- interesting, right? Yeah, it's fascinating to me. And and how do you counsel people to deal with a societal pressure? Oh, just one drink, it won't hurt you. You know, that, oh God, we've heard that a thousand times. Boundaries. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't drink. It's very no. simple. Yeah. A very, like, it takes a second to say that because when you are really trying to please somebody else, because there are people pleasers out there that I work with, uh, love them to death. And I was a people pleaser too. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable if I'm not drinking. Right. right. But then that's also the BS that you tell yourself because those people, if they do care, then that's on them. They've got some kind of issue that they need to work through with their drinking. Right. But, you know, nobody's going to care. I always thought everybody's going to care if I'm not drinking. Nobody does. Nobody cares. Right. right. Um, but there were some of the people in my life that were, you know, pushers. <laughs> like to mm-hmm. call them. They just yeah. wanted to push. So it is very interesting. Drink, drink, drink. There's all the drinking memes, especially this year. When quarantine hit, I got off of social media. Oh. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't watch it. Celebrities out there talking about drinking at nine o'clock in the morning, and it's still happening. It always has been. But there's all of that until you say, wow, I think I really have a problem here. I can't mm-hmm. control my drinking. And then it's like, oh, <laughs> step yeah. back. You've got some issues. I can't be around you right now. It's interesting. It's so interesting. It's so fascinating because it's like one of the most socially acceptable, not acceptable (laughs) places that you can be. And um, it's just interesting that we as a as a society, as a culture, have put so much stock in that thing, like that we are so bought into masking our true authenticity. Right, wow. like to to I, that I need to put on this this liquid face in order to be able to go out and like work functions, social functions, family gatherings, like you name it, meet new people. Of course, you bond with over a drink. Right? Like to me, that's fascinating, and just unpacking that is so it interesting. Is. It is to hear you saying it. 
you know, when I think back, you know, I set a lot of boundaries for myself when I quit drinking. So I wasn't going out. I took my first trip uh, up to San Francisco that maybe four or five months after I quit drinking. And I thought, if I can get through this <laughs> and enjoy myself, because this was when I was, when I quit drinking, I just felt dread. I didn't think that this was going to be fun. I didn't think that, you know, I wasn't sober curious. I wasn't like, oh, this is going to be great. There's the pink cloud that people talk about. I didn't know anything about that. I was only on Facebook. There was no Instagram for me back then. There were, I wasn't reading blogs like they have today. And so I thought going on that trip, if I can just enjoy myself and have fun, that is going to be huge for me. And I did because I was with a couple of my childhood friends. And I was with my mm -hmm. husband and my son. We had a wonderful time, but man, it was hard. The hardest thing that I've ever done because everything I did, like you said, revolved around drinking. And that night my husband had a glass of wine and we went to my friend's really cool apartment in San Francisco. And I said, you can have beer, but just don't have wine. <laughs> that was my drink. <laughs> and he sat down next to me on this really small little couch with this big old glass of wine. And he said, that's all she had. And I said, all right, all right all right, I just smelled it, you know, just the smell. And I kept telling myself, Lori, if you can get through this, you're going to be okay. And it mm -hmm. was many, many milestones like that that have happened. But you start proving yourself wrong because of all of that baggage you've been carrying around. And for me, it was 1982 is when it started, you know. I am socially anxious. There's nothing wrong with it. I do blush right. and break out in hives. I used to drink over that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. You just, I have had a real, you know, I have a lot of anxiety, especially now. I mean, I have anxiety and it's just, I can't imagine drinking over that because it would make it so much worse. Right, right. Not to mention menopause and perimenopause symptoms. Like your body is just like, nope, reject it, reject it, reject it. Reject it, <laughs> reject it, yeah. So if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking, you know, I'm just having a couple of glasses and I don't feel well great. You don't have to have a couple of glasses. There's a quote, I just saw it this morning, just because the elevator goes all the way to the bottom doesn't mean you need to take it there. And you <laughs> right. know, you don't have to wait until you get arrested or you do something really silly or you know, you black out, you don't remember anything. You don't have to wait. It could just be that nudge like, ugh, perimenopause is so tough anyway on, on some. It was for me. And adding alcohol to it, your nights are going to be longer and your days are going to seem like forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just like, right. Yeah. It's a struggle. It's so interesting. So what are you like, how do you tell people to recognize when drinking is not working for them? Or like, how do you tell them to recognize that point? Like you said, you don't have to go all the way to the bottom. You don't have to have a crisis moment, but like, what, what are the signs that hmm, maybe I should consider quitting? You know, you know that we all know when something is not working for us. There is mm. just that sign, you know, there's things, but when you start asking yourself questions and you can, one of my favorite things to do is to ask myself out loud, like, what is happening right now? You know, and you're rushing through your day. You're not sitting down. So I do a lot of journaling. Actually, my journal, I started five months before I quit drinking. No, three or four months before I quit drinking. That's what led me to finally quit because I was writing letters to myself. And it's one of my most oh. prized possessions. I just had it out That's the other beautiful. day. Yeah, I was asking myself, 
why do you keep drinking so much? What is happening with you? And I was tracking my perimenopause in that journal. And uh, I think that's the easiest way to get started with bringing that awareness out for yourself is to start writing in a journal and asking yourself, you know, how is this making me feel? Why do I keep doing it? What do I need to do to take the first steps to really remove it? You know, don't buy it. Say no to things that you know are going to be triggering and that you're going to drink or you're going to want to please other people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but you get that nudge and you wake up in the morning and just go, you look in the mirror and you go, wow. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel good. I don't look good. I'm tired of it. That's all you need. Yeah, that's so true. It doesn't need to be a crisis. It doesn't so, need to be a crisis. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. You mentioned a term back a couple minutes ago called pink cloud. What is that? Pink cloud, I didn't have it, but pink cloud is where everybody goes into sobriety with this just euphoria. Like, oh, this is the best thing ever. This is the best mm. thing ever. I love it so much. And, you know, I think that because of social media, there's so many people speaking out about it. I got on Instagram in 2015 and not that many people were speaking out about it, but I did find people. And the more and more I see people talking about it, I haven't really seen that term too much this year, but it was kind of like, oh, they're getting inspired by other people who have gotten sober. And so they go into it and I'm saying they, but you know, just anyone who says, okay, I'm going to give it a try, which is great. It's great. But if you get into that thinking that it's going to be euphoria and it's not, you know how that is. It's just mm -hmm. a disappointment. It's like, oh, yeah. that's another letdown. It didn't work for me. I can only say for myself, I didn't have a pink cloud. Like I said, I was very much dreading it. I thought that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be odd man out. Um, my anxiety was really high. But what I did was I hung on to the fact that if I don't do it now, I'm going to waste so much more time in my life. And so the pink cloud, I don't, you know, it's just that. It's just, you know, feeling mm, really gotcha. great. And then if it starts to wear off, you say, ah, it didn't work anymore. I just hung on to it. I just hung on to it because it just, right. you know, there was really no pink cloud. I just hung on to all of my sober days. Like I was never going to give them up. And I'm so grateful that I did. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that it's termed that. And I had never heard that term until I think I saw you write about it. It's interesting because it's the same effect as whenever you dive into any kind of personal development work. It's like at the beginning, oh my God, this is the best thing ever until it gets hard. And then this is the test of, oh, okay, how committed am I to this to this work or to be coming the next level of me or whatever, right? Like you got to wade through some ugly shit to get to, <laughs> to the, to the other side. And like, God, I mean, I know this, right? Like, but it's so worth not giving up. Yeah. I mean, that's how people are successful in anything that they do is they stick with it. That's it. Yeah. Like, you know, everybody wants like all of the, what are all the books? What are all the podcasts I can listen to? I need all the inspiration, but then they don't take action and they don't stick with it. So sticking with anything is what's going to give you that success, whether it be sobriety or weight loss or, you know, transitioning into a new career at this stage of life. I mean, there's so much that midlife women are doing and you got to be clear and present and alcohol does not help that at all. Right. It's, there's no need for it anymore. There's just right. no need for it. Yeah. So true. So like, how long do you typically work with women to transition through this? Like, like, is, are you, like, is there a, a time window or whatever that you say, okay, now you've got a handle on this, or is this something that people just kind of have to navigate every single solitary day and make a choice? 
Yeah, everyone is different. The client that I'm about to get on the phone with in an hour, I've been working with her for over two years. She just celebrated two years of sobriety in the summer and she is my longest standing client. And then I have women who will do either a six week, I call it a fresh start because honestly it is that kick start that you need. And then again, with the consistency, mm -hmm. they stick with it. And I always keep in touch with people. And then I have a 10 week and a 12 week. So, you know, oh, okay. I would say, I would say the six week will get you started and to build new habits because all it is, is really just going into this structure because structure is huge in sobriety. You have to have structure mm -hmm. in your day. So you're not flying through the day. You're not stressed and not paying attention to yourself. And it's accountability because when you have accountability to something, you're going to stick with it. And so it's right. daily accountability with me. And I'm, I'm huge on that because if I had it, oh boy, I would have felt so much better back when I quit drinking, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting too, because you talk about awareness and I wonder how many people are just kind of in the habit of drinking. As in, I come home from work, I put down my bags, I go to the fridge, I pour myself a glass of wine while I'm making dinner, right? And then I have another glass of wine while I eat dinner. And then, well, let me just have one more glass of wine to relax before I go to bed. And before you know it, I mean, that's like, what, half a bottle or more of wine, right? Mm -hmm. That you're consuming every single solitary night without ever having given it one iota of conscious thought. Yeah, people are going to be thinking about it now. And one of my favorite books that I work with with most of my clients is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, if my favorite book. Favorite book, yeah. So, you know, you make that habit less desirable. You know, you have something else in place of the wine. You know, you have that cue that says, oh, okay, when I cook dinner, I'm going to make a mocktail or, you know, a sparkling drink with fruit or whatever it is. You know, you do something else, but it is that self-awareness. It has to start there because, you know, for me, I was just willy-nilly. I, I, I didn't know what I was doing most of the time. I was just was going through. But at the same time, I was a business owner when I quit drinking. I had a son who, you know, I'm a great mom. <laughs> you know, it's not to say that I wasn't any of those things. It's just in my own life, I was struggling. I was just mm -hmm. struggling. Wow. And the other important word I think that you bro, you've brought up several times in this conversation is boundaries. <laughs> and I think as women, this is probably one of the biggest areas that we struggle with, you know, in terms of, you know, because we've been cultured really to be of service <laughs> to people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our job is to nurture and make people feel good. And then that becomes at the expense of ourselves. So, I mean, I love that you talk about boundaries in this way. So can you talk like in your own experience, how like having to create those boundaries around drinking, like how has that changed in other areas of your life too? Like, did you all of a sudden become the boundary ninja after this? <laughs> I feel like I am. Yeah. And you know, boundaries are self-care. I had Nancy Levin on my podcast. I can't think of the name of her book, but it's a wonderful book about yeah. boundaries. And she just did this episode. I heard back from so many women who were saying, you know, I've never looked at boundaries like that. They're not selfish. They're for you yes. to be a better person, right? They're for you to change all areas of your life. So yeah, I'm very comfortable with saying no to things. You know, this year is just different. I'm trying to think like, I didn't have anywhere <laughs> yeah. to really go, but I'm very comfortable saying no. I'm very comfortable in standing in my truth and what I value. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for me, 
I don't get asked anymore, of course, about, you know, do you want to drink if I go somewhere? Everybody knows that I don't drink, but just in other things, you know, in time, time is huge for me, you know, don't take up too much of my time if, you know, it's going to be a drain on me. I'm very strategic with my day and, you know, what I do. And so I feel like that just gives us so much more confidence Mm-hmm. And we just have a freedom where we just like, oh, okay, we're not going to worry about this stuff anymore. You know, because most people, most women in the middle of life are people pleasers. We want to please yes. other people. We don't want to say no because then they're going to ask, you know. And I always thought, what am I going to say? What is my excuse that I can't do this? You know, because I was always socially so anxious. And if I had to go somewhere when I was drinking and there wasn't alcohol, I made up excuses like crazy that I couldn't go. And, you know, as I got sober, I just, the same thing. Then I started thinking, just say, I can't go. I, I don't, you know, it's like that quote, like, I just, I'm sorry, I'm late. I didn't want to come. You know, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. like, can't we just all be big girls now and just say, yeah, I don't think that's what I really want to do. Yeah. No is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. Yeah. I think boundaries, yeah. structure and boundaries and taking care of yourself, self-care is just the first steps of sobriety. And then it just all opens yeah. up and you start saying, okay, what's next? Because I remember when I hit my first year of sobriety, I remember we went to a concert. I never thought I would go to a concert because I, I drank heavily at concerts, was one of my things. And we went and I remember thinking, this is so much fun. And I don't have to ask my husband the next day, did they sing that? Or he'll say, you know, <laughs> do you remember when they did that? I'm like, no, I don't. I remembered it. I remember after that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting my sober confidence, which I call it sober confidence up. Mm. What else can I do? Bring it, like bring it. And that's re- every single year. It's just the same, you know, I'm going into year eight, like same thing. What else am I going to do this year? Wow. That's fantastic. Amazing. Good for you. Uh, and I love that you are doing this work with women. Like I said, I, I feel like we choose, our, we choose our way to numb out from the reality of who we are, from, from being our authentic selves because, you know, it doesn't feel safe. And, you know, for some people, alcohol is the way. I mean, I grew up in a family with, you know, an alcoholic father. So mm-hmm. I watched it firsthand, which is probably, you know, a really good was really good awareness for me when I started to go down that path where I was like, rewind, right? Oh, that's great. That's great, Jen, because um, a lot of people will go the other way. Yeah, so well, great. exactly, exactly, right? But I think the three most important things that you talked about today, and I think these are just like whether we're drinking or whatever the numbing tool is that we choose, awareness, boundaries, and values. Like what do I really value in my life? And start focusing on that. And that's that's incredible. So so Thank much, you. so yeah. much learning in your journey. And I'm so glad that I can share this with my audience. So Thank if you. they want to find out more about you and the work that you do, where can Lori Massacott be found? LoriMassacott.com <laughs> and 250 and beyond podcast. That's, that's my baby. That's where yeah. I, I talk about all the things. And, you know, just like you said, it's really important to remember that not even if we just take the sobriety conversation out of this, like everything in the middle of life demands your best self. And if anything is holding you back, if it's not alcohol, just put it in the place of what we we're talking about today and just say, okay, where do I need to reevaluate things and realign myself to who I want to become? And that's just a really important message. And I think that just midlife women like yourself, I'm so proud of you and honored to be here because, you know, I remember finding you on a list of podcasts like, 
oh boy, this name is too much. I have to have her on my podcast. This is so cool. <laughs> it's so true. Um, but just like all of us coming together, I think it's a super cool time and you have to be present for it. Yeah. You have to be a hundred percent present for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's so true. And you know, and the rewards, but this is the thing The rewards are so freaking huge. Right. Huge. Like, yeah. you know, there's this, the, the typical thing, you know, you get your fifties, it's kind of like the downward slope into old age oblivion. And meanwhile, that's like 30 years of your life. I'm like, uh, hell no, there's a lot I got, I'm going to do in this time. Right. Yeah. And like you said, if you're drinking and waking up hungover when you're 65, like, yeah. And you know, it, there's just, yeah, exactly. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, Hmm, <laughs> I have thought about this before and now it's being presented to me take it as a sign. Yeah. I mean, take it as a sign and just ask yourself some questions, observe your drinking and observe nights where you don't drink and the days where you're just not hungover because nobody values hangovers, you know, yeah. nobody values hangovers and you, you know, you can't wear it as a badge of honor anymore. Oh, I'm hungover, but I'm functioning. No, that's not how we do it in midlife, right? Uh, and yeah, I do past 25, a... that's no longer an excuse. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, I, do, I don't want to function anymore. I want to thrive. I want to be my very best self. And, you know, it's just, it has to happen at this stage of life. And I do offer a free coaching session and I have a wonderful membership, commu membership community called Elevate that I have with wonderful women. And we come together and just have these conversations we call it the midlife experience and you are not alone in this. There's, you are not alone. Mm. Yeah. I say that all the time. I say that all the time. Yeah. Amazing. So thank you so much, Lori. This was a really great conversation. And to anybody listening, if you find yourself in the sober curious category, I encourage you to reach out to Lori and just have a conversation. It could be life-changing. Like it literally could be life-changing. It really could. Thank you, Jen. This was so much fun. Thank it you. It was fun. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.